0: This is The Rational Perspective. I'm Alec Hogg. In this episode, Signia CEO and anti-corruption crusader Magda Wysikha. Been my privilege to have followed Magda Wazic's progression from the time she helped build Coronation Fund Managers through to playing a leading role as CEO as the turnaround happened at African Harvest. When she left there, she created her own financial services disruptor, the ETF company Signia. And then last year. I watched in admiration as this super-smart qualified actuary transformed into an anti-corruption crusader, the unlikely pioneer of a fight back against South Africa's seemingly inevitable slide into a corrupt, failed state. One of my most popular tweets of the past year was the one where, after a typical Magda outrage, I said that she possessed more testicular fortitude than pretty much every male of a JSE-listed company. But the business community's highest-profile maverick paid a high personal price for putting herself out there. She needed full-time bodyguards and was regularly attacked on social media as the corrupt system's antibodies fought back. She's come through it, though, and things have changed dramatically in South Africa. So we caught up yesterday in London, where she's exploring global opportunities for her company. Then we reflected on how South Africa managed to reverse away from the abyss what happens next, and touched on that infamous conversation that she had with the director of SAP, who admitted that in emerging markets, bribery is standard practice for the German multinational.
1: It's Magda Daviesitska, I'm the CEO of Cygnia. Great to see you in London,
0: are you here to drum up more business? (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'm here, really, it's a bit of a dipstick visit to see whether we can expand into the UK, but on a very kind of um, a low note um, and on the cheap and see what the opportunity set is in the UK. Um, but, you know, I don't want to repeat the mistakes that other particularly financial services companies, have made in terms of making expensive acquisitions. So we want to see whether we can do something organically. In the UK, we've been doing quite a lot of research, um, and we think there are some small opportunities that um, you know, I can't talk about just sure. yet. But, uh, but Signe has been interesting. an
0: interesting story. How, back in the early days, how long have you been going for now?
1: Well, we've been going since 2006, so time passes. Um, You know, it's it's many more years than I like to think. Um, And I always think to our beginnings, which really were, you know, six people in a room sitting around saying, you know, what are we all doing next Um, and trying to come up with a business model around a particular um, administration platform that we have built. And really, that's all we had. We had no external shareholders. We had no capital. Um, We just had the ideas and a system that we built. Um, and that was the origin of Signia. And, uh, and now? And now we manage just over, I think, 200 billion in assets uh, between our administration assets and assets under management. And we are the second largest multi-manager in South Africa um, and uh, second largest uh, ETF manager after APSA um, on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange and one of the largest passive managers in the, the, the country. Whole,
0: the whole low-cost... Uh, drive that you are well you're famous for a lot of things (laughs) (laughs) infamous infamous.
1: Uh, you know we believe in fairness to consumers so if I have one driving passion in life it is to educate people about their financial affairs Just because you know, so many people retire with no financial security. I mean, I look at my own parents, and yes, their journey is a little bit different because they kind of had to start their lives afresh, you know, in their forties after we escaped Poland. Um, So they didn't have a lot of time to save for retirement, but obviously they saved nothing. So um, you know, the reality of an average sixty odd year old is that they are going to depend on their children for their financial security. and you know, if, if there's one thing that I would like to change is um, people's awareness of the need to save. Um, and at the same time, the awareness and appreciation of the fact that it's not all about investment returns, that actually costs and how much you pay has a much greater influence in terms of you know, compounding over years of your kind of, you know, saving life um then the half a percent Excess return that you might get by investing with Ellen Gray versus Coronation, and hence, you know, when we entered the South African market, the way we decided to differentiate ourselves is by literally slashing costs to the bare minimum. So Could you do
0: that here in the UK?
1: I think you can do it here. Uh, Vanguard has entered this market uh, with no brand name whatsoever and is attracting. In about a year and a half ago, I know it's Vanguard is actually well known in South Africa. Um, but it wasn't well-known at all in the UK. Um, And they are attracting huge amounts of money directly from consumers uh, without having a brand name and without necessarily doing a big campaign. They just built a platform and offered low-cost savings products. So I think there is a space for doing that in the UK. And, in fact, our research of this market is, you know, it's much less regulated than South Africa, much less. And the fees are much higher than they are in South Africa it's the most amazing thing everyone always talks about you know the regulation in the UK and RDI in the UK well RDR which is this retail distribution review in in the UK is actually a diluted piece of legislation that we have had in South Africa for many years called the phase act so I think that there is huge amount of opportunity for low-cost providers in the UK
0: that's so interesting and uh, we have seen some South African firms doing extraordinarily well here Investec Vitality amongst them let's hope Signia as well
1: we're but small much smaller <laughs>
0: than well them. any days but Magda you've been in the news a lot over the last uh, 18 months we've we had I remember a fascinating uh, webinar <laughs> where uh, the weekend after after Steinhoff imploded yeah. but if we if we were to describe the contribution you've made in the last couple of years in South Africa it's it's really been as a anti-corruption crusader is there any regrets because it it took your profile from being a, a a leading chief executive in financial services into somebody now who perhaps has made a lot of enemies
1: Um, Look, there are absolutely no regrets. So, you know, I didn't start off by wanting to be an anti-corruption crusader. It was more the fact that, you know, being in the investment industry, what we did see on the ground is a country spiraling downwards under the Zuma regime. Um, And, you know, it was a truth that potentially was hidden from members of the public because people just don't pay attention. And they're kind of passengers of life rather than being active participants in life. Um, but you really couldn't, you know, seeing what was happening in South Africa on the corruption front, on the political front, the private sector involvement in all of that corruption. Um, you know, it got to a point. That where you had to do something, I just felt you know you had to start speaking out, particularly after Gupta leaks appeared, because you know the, the magic of Gupta leaks was that it was like a crime novel. Mm. you literally had the who, the how, <laughs> the how much, mm. and it was and all, all the evidence as and well. all the evidence mm. and all the private sector participants implicated. And what absolutely amazed me is that with all of that evidence out there in the public realm, no one was doing anything about it. And that's really what triggered this kind of involvement in starting to speak out. And, um, you know, little did I know at the time um, that, you know, I would be a bit of a lone voice from the business side. Because I think that is what built up the profile. Did you
0: expect that others would follow you?
1: I expected business, South Africa, to stand up and say we cannot continue on this path because it's a path of economic destruction for this country. So never mind the political issues, but just on the economic front, it's in the interest of business and would have been in the interest of business South Africa to speak out. So yes, you know, when, when the Gupta leaks came into the public domain, I fully expected leading business figures to speak out. Instead, um, mm. no one did. And in fact, you know what I found absolutely amazing is that, you know, the, the, all this evidence against KPMG was out there, and you know we fired KPMG, and that became a news story. It shouldn't have been a news story. You know, they. they, they was Everybody a lot should of have fired them. It. Everyone should have mm. fired them. Mm. Um, but in fact, you know, people resented us for firing KPG initially because, you know, it created problems in their own businesses because suddenly their customers would ask, well, who are your auditors? And, in fact, I faced complaints from my own client base who said to me, why did you fire KPMG? It you created know, problems I for What I
0: found interesting, it's just occurred to me now, was one of the few other companies that fired KPMG was EDSA, And both Female chief executives. <laughs>
1: but I think they but only Proportionately,
0: yeah, sure, they've now. only done it now, but at least, but it's interesting. Yes. We, both yes. you and Maria yes. Ramos.
1: And yet, Old Mutual mm. has it. They have fired. I mean, I've never seen a better example of being half pregnant than Old Mutual, <laughs> which well, I, <laughs> have I, I, fired KPMG and now yes. has two oh. external auditors.
0: Well, uh, AECI, who had had them for nearly 100 years, yes. uh, said, no, it was finally time for audit rotation. So yes. there's another interesting uh, yes. spin on it, I guess, but
1: yes. people well,
0: seem to have withdrawn more and more. No, from no, completely.
1: I think, you know, since the Zuma regime has kind of mm-hmm. collapsed and since uh, Sarah Ramaphosa has come into power, there's a very different mood uh, among business and look, business tends to swing with the wind. So there are winds of change blowing through South mm-hmm. Africa and everyone wants to be on the right side of that one. So, um, you know, it's, it's probably the politically correct thing to, to fire KPMG. Um, whereas last year, it was just a hassle that business didn't need. So mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily that they were, you know, implicated in any corrupt activities on behalf of those companies. It's just changing your external auditors is a real pain in the butt.
0: So it was brazen, outable, whereas now it isn't really. Exactly. Really. Now, before we got together today, I had a look at the uh, speech that you made to the Brenthurst Money Web yes. uh, uh, seminars uh, where you spoke about a director from SAP who called you it's worth repeating
1: <laughs> well you know I've become a bit of a magnet for people I, I kind of almost think back to my you know, Roman Catholic roots and go it's like confessional people come to me and confess their sins I have no idea why so I've become a magnet for people trying to come and explain themselves really I, I don't know why um, and somewhere in that process last year I got a phone call from this, I think she, she introduced herself as a non-executive director of SEP and she was flown out from Germany um, to South Africa uh, to look at this unfolding scandal around SEP paying off the Guptas to get various IT contracts and software uh, contracts. Um, And she said to me that, you know, this concept of set paying commissions to middlemen is, you know, a widely used business practice, not just by themselves. Um, And in fact, this PR person that found me a couple of days ago repeated this because obviously they listened to the tape recordings. I think they were looking for evidence to sue me Um, for saying what I'm saying. Um, So she said to me, you know, it's it's not um, uncommon for them to pay commissions to middlemen. Not all of them are bribes. Um, what
0: did she
1: mean by that? Well, it, it, in fact, this, not all of them are bribes was what the PR person said to me two days ago. That yes, they pay commissions, but not all of them are bribes.
0: Right. Um, so some of them are bribes. So, so some
1: of them <laughs> are bribes. <laughs> the flip side. Well, she said to me that it's, it's common practice for them to pay commissions to middlemen. Um, but as a consequence of what has happened in South Africa and all of this coming to light, and obviously the negative publicity, um, they have decided to discontinue payment of commissions in countries which fall below this level 50. I don't know why that was the you know, level that they struck it, on the World Corruption Index. So they're not going to pay you know commissions, commissions in those kind of countries and I must appreciate that that is a very significant um, give on their side because you know it will really cost them business. Um, so I was supposed to applaud them for that. But surely
0: Germany has got very strict laws about its citizens uh, participating in corruption outside of the country now, certainly the Americans have.
1: the Americans do. Um, the Germans, well, you know, there are a lot of German companies implicated in a lot of corruption scandals <laughs> around the world. Some of the cleverest scams have been perpetuated by German companies. You know, you've got your VW, Volkswagen, um, you know, carbon emission scandal going on right now. So there is something, you know, that, that happens where, you know, German companies do often find themselves on the wrong, wrong side of the law. I'm not sure whether... The laws are the same as in the U.S. Look, in the U.S., mostly, you know, the the U.S. Department of Justice finds people. Um, And they name and shame. So people do seem to be afraid of of, um, the U.S.
0: What about McKinsey, given given we're talking about the U.S.? Uh, Kevin's leader came to South Africa. He'd been in office for a week. He started his speech by saying, I'm sorry, went through to explain he was sorry, but he didn't see (laughs) any corruption, and then ended by saying, I'm sorry again. What did you make of all that?
1: Look, I I think I had a bit of an unfair advantage there in that, you know, I employed one of the trillion whistleblowers who I always call, you know, the South African national heroes, um, Bianca Gutzon. And she um, was involved, she was the CEO, the CEO, nominal CEO of Trillion at the time that McKinsey was striking the deal with Trillion in order to effectively rob Escom of, um, you know, a lot of money by providing them with consulting services while paying off trillion in the background. And, um, you know, she basically said that, you know, that they had sushi parties where they were joking about the fact that, um, and that's, you know, with McKinsey in the room, so... So sushi parties between Trillian and McKinsey guys um, laughing and joking about the fact that, you know, this is all done on behalf of the Gupta family and that they're going to rob escob blind. Um, so Kevin
0: Sneedon obviously doesn't know any of this because <laughs> he said there's no corruption. Well, Can you, have they approached you, uh, McKinsey, to talk to you about this?
1: Um, uh, yes, last year they also came to, to speak to me. And, uh, you know, I brought Bianca into the room when they did. And, you know, she got very upset because she basically said, you know, that they lie. And they're misrepresenting the situation, that certainly people top people at McKinsey knew exactly what they were doing, um, that the whole contract was a scam. And, you know, I was also told that McKinsey, you know, once they got the ESCOM contract, sent in a whole host of um, very young consultants on site at ESCOM at various uh, power stations, and people at ESCOM were told to find them jobs, any jobs, whatever they could manufacture that would, you know, fall under the pretense of provision of consulting services. Uh, So there was a mad scramble at ESCOM to try and pretend that these people actually were adding value. Um, So I don't know what books McKinsey keeps in terms of what services they provided to ESCOM for the almost billion-rand fee that they charged. But it would be interesting to see how, you know, if it isn't corruption what services they actually provided and what value add did they provide, given that you, know, you look at the financials of Escom that have just come out and you've got a bankrupt company with a you know, huge amount of irregular expenditure. But
0: it, it does seem, and of course trillion. there were 600 million that it received, thanks to McKinsey, which hasn't been Absolutely. recovered yet. But it does seem from what we saw from Escom earlier this week, that the numbers are far bigger than we anticipated. Jabu Mabuz is saying they've got 19 billion, billion. worth of uh, expenditure that they can't yeah. account for. It does appear like the cavalry has arrived now, though. So so what's yeah. your role in all of this, given that people are starting to uncover the muck? Is there more muck still that uh, needs to <laughs> be brought to <today laughs> the Look, I
1: think, you know, we've had 12 years of corruption in South Africa. Really, we've had... You know, 12 years where corruption became an institutional way of doing business. And that's really Zuma's legacy, I mean, among others, you know, destroying our education system. But that's his legacy. He's made corruption an acceptable way of doing business, both for the public sector and the private sector. And it's, you know, very naive to suppose that we can get rid of that cancer um, and that mindset in a space of few months. You know, it will take us years To get over what has happened it will take years to weed out the bed seats to change the way people do business so i think that there is a lot more that will still come to the table i think we've only started scratching the surface but
0: what about you what's your contribution going to be from here are you now saying you're in london you're going to grow the business globally (laughs) look i
1: do have a day job I do have a day job, which is running Signia. It is not being um, an activist, really. You know, I found myself in very particular circumstances last year. I certainly didn't expect to be a lone voice, which is why I think I became, you know, better known than I was before, because I really wasn't known. I was just a CEO of financial services group. Um, You know, I hope to play a role as a commentator, really, um, you know, I think the one skill I have, and it's a skill that I've kind of cultivated, is to try and make complex issues simple. So you know, I've, I've played that role in the financial arena, and it's a bit of an educator role. I've always tried you know, not to use jargon, to, to explain concepts in a way that make them accessible to, to the men in the street. And that's how I see my role going forward in, in, you know, corporate South Africa. It's when things unfold, such as Steinhoff or Resilient, which on surface seem very complex to understand. Usually they're not. There's just a lot of jargon around them. Well, Well, not to someone
0: like you. What did you study?
1: Well, look, I studied actuarial science, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) that's only because they offered bursaries that paid for everything, because I really couldn't afford to study anything else. Um, But, you know, actuarial science, as much as it's a really boring career, um, gives you a very analytical mindset. So it teaches you to analyze complex problems and to, you know, find solutions to complex problems. That's really the training. It's nothing else. It's it's kind of a very risk-averse mindset. And problem-solving and analytical skills.
0: And uh, so how, how do uh, when people, when you see people, and I'm thinking particularly of women, uh, who see you standing up against well overwhelming odds, we know that uh, the, the the risks of what you did, what Bianca Goodson uh, did, and and many others, has been or oh, high. How do they react to you now? What's first of all the people in the business community? Do they thank you? But members of the public are they uh, appreciative?
1: I think you know the, the certainly uh, look the business community has never particularly liked women to begin with. So, so you know I don't expect any different attitude. And you know with that approach of being a market disruptor, cutting fees, exposing you know hidden fees, I will never be a popular figure among the business community, South Africa. So that hasn't changed. You know I wasn't popular before. I'm not popular now, and you know this isn't the popularity. It comes conference. with the territory. Does it, it? It? it comes with the territory, but certainly, you know, I have been very surprised by the kind of overwhelming public support. And it's little things like sitting in a restaurant and someone walks up to me and says thank you, and that actually means heck of a lot because you know it means that they actually recognise you and they appreciate what you've done. Um, and you know, it often comes. As a soothing, um, particularly last year, um, you know, a soothing antidote to the huge amount of kind of Gupta bots that were attacking me on Twitter and state security that was following me around and the death threats I received. Um, so those little acts of kindness where people come up and say, thank you, or we appreciate you, or we missed you on Twitter, um, actually mean a heck of a lot. Um, you know, and, and um, you know, I'm very grateful for that.
0: Has it calmed down now? The uh, attack on your person for standing up and, and speaking out.
1: Yes, I mean, I think you know, the, the Gupta bots um, have run out of firepower. I mean, look, the, there are different forces and different elements at play. So, you know, we are very far from being out of the woods you know the the bad side if if one can you know put it that way is fighting back you know they're not going away quietly Um, I think there are a lot of people that have been implicated in corruption not necessarily uh, because they're supporters of Zuma but they participated in the looting and they you know they're scared of being exposed so you know there's a huge pushback against, you know, what Cyril is trying to achieve and others such as you know Praveen in, in cleaning out the system and the rot. at um, Jabo at Eskom. They they all are facing huge pushbacks. I think, you know, they they're in much more precarious and dangerous positions than, you know, I am. Um, but you know, we, we need to continue the fight, and I think you know it's it's very important that South African public doesn't become complacent just because Cyril Ramaphosa is now in power and everyone kind of goes back to their daily lives. You know, it's it's essential that people remain involved and actively involved in this fight against corruption because that's the only way that we can you know kind of get over what has happened.
0: is Magda Vejicche, founder and chief executive of Signia. And this has been the Rational Perspective. Until the next time, Cheerio.